I'm here to officially introduce you to uh, Pastor Rick Buck, who's come to speak for us today on short notice. Uh, he was asked on Friday when Dwayne said he wasn't able to cover it, and uh, we're so glad that he was. In, uh, before the first service, one of the worship guys said, well, obviously God didn't want us to listen to Dwayne today because he wanted us to listen to Rick. So there, that's a great statement of God's sovereignty, isn't it? <laughs> he brought Rick, and so uh, you're going to appreciate him. We appreciate him in the first service. A little bit of that you need to know about Rick is first, Rick is the Feb Central Director. That's the region of our fellowship that we're a part of. He uh, took that role just, uh, it was, was it in the summer or was it earlier? Started in the summer. Yeah, you mentioned about being in COVID yeah. earlier, and I was like, oh, I maybe have my dates wrong. But he started in the summer after pastoring at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Barrie for over 20 years. And maybe the more important thing that you need to know is Rick came into my life 33 years ago. <laughs> I only know it was that long ago because you mentioned how long you've been married. Yeah, that's right. Because Rick married into my family, mm -hmm. right? He cousin. married my wife's cousin. Yeah. So that's how I got into this family. So Rick and I are both those that came into that family grouping from separate sides, but we've connected that way. And so family stuff and things, we get to see each other and hang out a little bit, not as much as I'd probably like to, but got to know Rick over that time. And Rick's had a great ministry at his church. Our fellowship is blessed that he has taken over as our director. And as he's just starting to put his mark on that, I think it's going to be great for us as a fellowship. And we are blessed to have you come and share with us this morning, Rick. Thanks, come Paul. Come and give us God's word. And Paul and I get along really well. And there's nothing happening. He's going out that way, and I'm coming in this way. So we're, we're, we're good friends, and it's really an honor to, to be with the James North family. I've heard wonderful things uh, through the years about James North, and it's a privilege to be here in my fairly new role as regional director of Feb Central Ministries. And so just for clarity, um, the real reason I'm here is that uh, Pastor Duane, he invited and asked a whole bunch of people. No one else would come, and I was the last person that said yes, finally. So, uh, so that, actually, though, it is a, an honor to be with you. And Duane's been up to Emmanuel through the years at, uh, and uh, had him up speaking there, and we're grateful for what God's doing here at James North. Excited to be with you. And thank you for your partnership uh, you are an important partner in Feb Central Ministries, and we are grateful for your prayers, for your financial support through the years, and most of all, just to let you know that Pastor Duane has been on our board through the years, many for many years, and he's just an integral part of our team at Feb Central Ministries, and we're thankful the church allows him to serve in that way with us. Feb Central Region, as Paul mentioned, it's made up of, uh, you're part of it, it's 280 churches across Ontario and English-speaking churches in Quebec. And that covers about 1 million square kilometers. That's a lot of geography. And, um, and our focus at Feb Central Ministries is really to help our churches thrive in their mission of serving Christ and the gospel. And we do that through three central priorities, through church planting, helping, assisting, coming alongside our churches as they launch new churches, and then secondly, in leadership development, uh, through helping them recruit and develop really great leaders for the church, and uh, men and women. And then we do that thirdly, also through uh, church health, nurturing real deep spiritual health in our churches, 
and also helping them to be on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's a real honor to be a part of that mission. Just so you know, you may not know this, but presently our church planting department at Feb Central Ministries is working with over 35 churches uh, that have either launched and are in like the years one, two, three, some uh, four or five years of, of age, and also new churches about to launch. In fact, a, a really neat thing that I shared with the first service, a praise item, under COVID in the fall of this past year, seven new churches were launched even in the midst of all the constraints and difficulties of COVID. Isn't that exciting? Seven new churches, and uh, we were able to support our churches in our region to launch those churches. So you're a part of that mission. You're partners with us, and we're grateful. We certainly appreciate your prayers during this COVID time as we try to support our churches and all the challenges and uh, situations that our churches and leaders are facing during COVID as well. So thank you for your prayers and for your support. This morning, I want to take you to a very unique conversation that Jesus had with one of his disciples just prior to leaving this earth. Jesus was trying to give the Apostle Peter and all of us really some important truths to help us flourish this side of heaven and to help us to make a difference for him. As you know, Living, for, living the Christian life is certainly not easy. It's not a walk in the park, if you will. It's a spiritual war, according to the Scriptures. Every day with Jesus is not necessarily easier or even better than the day before. It's a challenge to live for Christ. Not only do we have the, the normal challenges that everybody has, like COVID-19, but we add to that the fact that we are in the fight of our lives, if you will, with the spiritual forces of darkness, with the kingdom of darkness, the devil and his servants, and our own fallen and selfish natures, and systems of thinking and philosophies that stand contrary to God. The Bible describes the Christian life as a battle against a powerful enemy. The devil, Peter says, is like a roaring lion prowling about looking to devour us for his next meal. It's not easy. So that means pitfalls and hills and valleys and setbacks and successes. And the earliest followers of Jesus quickly came to understand this struggle. And Jesus taught them some important truths to flourish, to have success in this struggle. In the text that we're about to look at, the apostle Peter has lost his focus and sense of mission. He seems at a minimum distracted is he discouraged, possibly even defeated? I don't know about you, but have you been there before? Maybe, maybe just right now you're there. Maybe COVID-19 has helped to take you there. Peter's life had become about something other than Jesus. And Jesus here focuses on what is most needed in Peter's life to flourish. And so we're going to be looking in a moment, at verses 15 through 22 of John chapter 21. I'm going to invite you to actually please stand with me as we read God's Word. I'll have it on the screen, and you can follow along there, or you can follow in your Bibles, and you at home as well who are live streaming can follow along in your Bibles. I'd invite those at home to even stand in a moment as we read God's Word here. I just Before I read it, though, I do want to give you the context 
The context is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter has gone back to fishing, his old job, if you will. Jesus actually repeats a miracle that he did when he originally called Peter to ministry, that great catch of fish in Luke chapter 5. And he repeats that. They are reunited with Jesus on the beach, Peter and some other disciples, after this great catch of fish. And then it appears that Jesus and Peter talk as they walk along the beach. And the verses I'm about to read are really a conversation that Jesus has with Peter. So that's the context. By you, we're going to pick up the reading in verse 15, and you can follow along. I'll read to verse 22. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. He would be martyred. And then Jesus said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? It was John, the writer of this gospel, according to verse 24. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And we do ask that you, by your spirit, would be our teacher today. We're asking you, in your grace, Lord, to allow us to have the freedom that you deserve to have in each one of our lives. I pray that that would start with me. May you be glorified. May you be honored as we reflect on these verses and think about what it really means to love you first, to have a strong look to you. So we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And so the first truth that Jesus teaches Peter here in these verses is this, that making impact is always about loving Jesus. And you could add there first. Notice verses 15 through 17. Three times in these verses, Jesus asks Peter if he loves him. Verses 15, verse 16, verse 17, one in each verse. And the first one, I want you to notice, the first time he says, do you love me more than these? 
That is, Peter, do you love me first of all? Peter, Peter, what is the order of your loves? Who's first in all of those loves of your life? Who's first? And three times, Peter responds with, Lord, you know my heart, and you know that I love you. Jesus is telling Peter, I believe here, that ministry is about first loving him in the first place. We sometimes think that ministry and service for God is primarily about our performance, how are we doing, our abilities, about the affirmation we receive from those that we're serving and loving, right? How about the rewards that I get now and eternity, or about the people, the nature of the people that we're loving and the sheep, if you will. But Jesus says that ministry at its deepest level is about loving him. Yes, yes, of course. Jesus is telling Peter and us that if we really love him, we will love what he loves. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. But we can't miss the point Jesus is saying here. My commitment to serve him is to grow out of my love for him. So Peter's biggest issue was his heart. And so Jesus is probing that here. Peter, where's your heart? Where's your heart of love toward me? That's my biggest issue. It's the issue, the biggest issue for all of us. Where's our hearts towards Jesus? We can be so busy doing things for God, even doing the right things, even doing good things, but God may not accept it. Why? Because it's not really about love for him. The motive, friends, of our service is crucial. It's an essential, foundational part of our service. In fact, God hates religion. God, God's strongest words in his word are for religion, mere outside performance without the heart. Or worse, that the motive of the heart is actually for selfish purposes. Religion is a corrupting thing. And Jesus says, it can't be that way. You must love me. And your service must flow from that. I could go to different parts of the Bible to illustrate this, to drive this truth home. But the one that strikes me, that, 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 that comes to me almost first, is, is Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, where Jesus is, is commending the church at Ephesus. You remember that passage? And he lists a series of qualities about this church, and he commends them for their good deeds, for their hard work, for their perseverance. And as you're reading Revelation 2 and the first verses of that chapter, you could look at that church, the church at Ephesus, and at first glance you might say, well, this is a church of the year candidate. But then Jesus goes on to say this, yet I hold something against you. What is it, Jesus? You have forsaken your first love. Your first passion, the delight of your life, is not me, Jesus says. And that's a problem. Huge problem. Something else. You see, serving God is first a matter of delight in Him, not duty for Him. 
I think of it this way. I must kiss my wife. We've been married for 33 years, as Paul alluded. I must kiss her. But not that kind of must. Not a dutiful kiss. That's an oxymoron. I must kiss her, but it's not a dutiful kind of kiss. It's this delight in her that leads me to long to kiss her. Because I love Jesus. I want to obey him. I want to love what he loves. That's the order the Bible says is absolutely necessary for all of our service. I think we understand this. We get this. I, I, again, I'll give you an illustration I think you can relate to, and hopefully it drives this point home. So say I plan a surprise romantic weekend for my wife on our anniversary. And I take her to Niagara-on-the-Lake, a beautiful, beautiful place to go for such a time. And it's all a surprise. I take her. We go to the Shaw Festival. We watch a play. It's a great play. We are booked into the Prince of Wales Hotel and to a fine dining experience. We're sitting having dinner on the Friday night of that surprise weekend. And she's just blown away. And she begins to thank me. Honey, thank you for all the time and the energy and everything you did to, to surprise me. And it's, this is awesome. Thank you. And I say to her, honey, don't think about it. It was my duty. What happens next? Absolutely nothing happens next. Right? The, the weekend's over. The romantic weekend has died that is not what she wants to hear. Neither does she deserve to hear that. She deserves to hear, honey, I treasure you. And our 33 years together have been the best. And I wanted to convey my deep and profound love for you. And so that's why I planned this. We get that. We understand that. We do. We go, of course she deserves your delight. Why then, friends? If that's true and we get that and we understand that, why can we think in our minds that it's ever acceptable to the God of the universe that we just go through the motions and we dutifully give him our obedience? How much more than my wife, this God, the God of the universe, who's given me life and breath and everything else, not deserve my delight? That's why the real command of Scripture is to love Him with the totality of our beings, to love Him in the first place, to delight in Him, to truly worship Him. See it? Of course, we can't miss that Jesus is also saying that if we really love Him, it changes what we love. And if you go back to the conversation that Jesus had with Peter, He says, do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then serve my lambs, feed my sheep. If we love God truly, we will love the pinnacle of his created order people, especially God's people. That's why when you think about it, when Jesus was asked what the greatest command in, in all of Scripture was, remember that? When he was asked for one command, he didn't give just one, he gave two. Why? Because he said this command of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's another command that goes with it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't say that you really love God without loving what God loves people. 
That's the primary way we express our love for God, in loving people. But I would also like to suggest to you that the order of those two commands is also central. It's not love your neighbor first and then love God. It's love God first. That order of your loves is critical because you can't really love your neighbor properly until you love God first. can't properly give the kind of love to your neighbor that you need to give. So God has that first place. Sometimes people say, well, you know, I'll love people as long as they're lovely, but not when they're unlovely. Notice Jesus doesn't say here, it doesn't matter what the sheep are like. Sheep, of course, can be cute, but they aren't the smartest animal in the world. I like the way someone said it. When is the last time you saw a sheep stunt at a circus? No, the sheep are valuable because they are treasured by the shepherd. They're the sheep for whom the shepherd died. And they're precious to him. And so because they're precious to him, they should be precious to us. I think although Jesus' words here are primarily directed to pastors and spiritual leaders in this text, the principle really is the same for all of us. God loves people, not programs, not buildings or things. you got a beautiful new building here, and he, he, he's given it to you as a gift. It's a precious tool to be used, but it's for the purpose of loving people. He wants us to use things to love people, not use people to love things. Service, friends, has never been about wielding power or holding office or merely doing a task dutifully or even about the people that we serve. All about loving Jesus. And we love people so that they might know this Jesus as well. And so fruitful ministry is born out of this heart that loves Jesus Christ first. But if I'm honest, that's not easy for me. It's so easy for it to be about so many other things than loving Jesus. Especially about me, what I get out of it. What's the reward? What's the affirmation? Am I getting acknowledged? I kind of know usually in my life now that when I really get stuck in a place of disappointment and discouragement in my life, usually, not always, but usually it is because my life has become about something other than loving Jesus Christ first. So nurturing your love relationship with Jesus is the most important thing you do for the people God has brought into your life. God wants our love for him to come, our our love for others to come out of our overflow of our love for him to pour out out of our lives. And that way it's God in us and through us. It's his grace and his presence and his power. This is important to remember that the gospel, we don't create anything We receive God's presence. We receive God's power. We see it, we savor it, and then we share it with others. We are not manufacturers. We are distributors. That's what the gospel of grace is all about. We receive from God the treasure of his love in his son, and then we give that love away. So it's really to be about him in us and then through us. 
The second truth here that Jesus teaches Peter in these verses is this, that making impact is always about keeping our focus on Jesus. That's verses 18 to 22. If someone was to ask you, uh, your spouse, do you love me, right? Do you love me? Just ask you that question on like, an occasion. That would be a powerful question, would it not? I mean, if your spouse has come home on Boxing Day and says to you, honey, do you love me? They might be preparing you for the fact that they just spent a boatload of money at a Boxing Day sale. That's possible. But if they didn't ask you just once, but asked you three times, do you love me? You would know there's a problem. And there is a problem here. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? You remember? What is it? The answer? Three times. Do you think it was an accident that Jesus had a question for Peter and asked him three times, do you love me? I don't think so. I think it was quite purposeful. And Peter here is broken by this repeated question. I think Jesus, without alluding to it directly or speaking to it directly, is alluding to a temptation in Peter. A weakness, a vulnerability. And Jesus is reminding, remember Peter, remember your vulnerability of your heart and your life when you betrayed me. This is central. You need to get this, Peter. The context here is crucial to understanding this. Jesus and Peter are on the beach, and you'll notice that from verse 20. If you read verse 20, you'll pick that up. They're most likely walking and talking with John, the apostle, not far behind. Verses 1 through 14 paints a picture of Peter as off mission. He's gone back to his old job of fishing, whether he's disillusioned or discouraged, completely discouraged, we don't really know. He's at a minimum distracted. One thing is clear. He's gone back to what he's comfortable with, what he knows. Physical fishing. When Jesus had called him to be a fisherman of people. And Jesus, again, very purposeful, not an accident. He repeats the very same miracle he did when he called Peter to become a fisherman of people. He does it all over again. And it impacts Peter in a big way. That's all in the first 14 verses. What's Jesus doing here? I think he's trying to get Peter back on mission to refocus him. Peter, the job hasn't changed. It's still about loving me and loving people. I think Jesus knew that the seed of Peter's denial of Jesus would always be there in his life, particularly when he, the, 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 the temptation to make it about himself, his own survival and self-preservation. And he would battle this throughout his life, the temptation to make it about him rather than Jesus and others. And there would be this overwhelming need for Peter to focus on a passionate pursuit of Jesus alone. What he needed was to keep his eyes locked on Jesus Christ. Not be distracted. What confirms this? The final interaction 
of Jesus with Peter confirms this for me. And I just want you to notice the flow of 18 through 22. First of all, in verses 18 and 19, Jesus tells Peter about the difficult road in front of him. Notice verse 18, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. John says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then after Jesus tells Peter that difficult news of the path he's going to have to travel, he says to him at the end of verse 19, notice the words, follow me, Peter. Follow me. The only way, Peter, you're going to be able to cope with this difficult path you're going to have to walk that I'm going to take you through is if your eyes are locked on me. Now, I want you to notice what happens next. Peter's response, verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? What does Peter do? Jesus had just challenged him, follow me, lock your eyes on me, Peter. You're going to have a difficult road. And the first thing Peter does is he looks behind him, not to Jesus. He looks behind him and says, what about John? I've got this difficult road in front of me, but what's going to happen to John? What kind of path is he going to walk? And notice how Jesus responds. What does he say? Jesus answered, verse 22, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me, Peter. What was Jesus saying to Peter? Peter, it's none of your business what I'm going to do with John. It's not your job to manage John's life. I'm his Lord, and he will walk his own path, and he'll have to be faithful and fruitful on his own path. You don't have to be the assessor of John's path. You just need to be faithful and fruitful on the path that I am leading you on. And the only way you're going to do that is if you have your eyes locked on me. You must follow me, Peter. Wow. You see it, friends? Jesus' invitation to Peter here to follow him passionately, to look to him in all things, is implicitly an invitation to all of us. We are tempted to be distracted. Friends, is there not a lot going on in this world today to be distracted by? COVID's not the only thing. But it's a big one. There's other things and other things that are particular to your own individual circumstances in life that are very tempting to be distracted. You can fixate on those things. Here's, here's the thing, friends. We are only as good as our strong look to Jesus Christ. And I ask you this morning, where are you looking this morning? Where are you looking this morning? Let's get real. Under COVID, are you fixated on your freedoms? 
pretty easy in the midst of COVID to, to make that everything. I tell you, lots of people are. Other people are making their health the fixation. I don't care who loses what freedoms. As long as, as long as I can be healthy and my own can be healthy and we can preserve life. And There's lots going on. Who's right? What about the government? The government make you angry, make you happy. The medical experts, these people, there's a lot to be distracted by under COVID, but that's not the only thing. You can lose your focus on Jesus through. Might be how your spouse is handling life. What your spouse is doing. What your kids are doing. What's happening at your job. What's happening at your church. What's happening, and you can just about find anything in life can be the level of distraction that you take your eyes off of Jesus. And you'll no longer be fruitful for him. You'll no no longer be able to say that it's really, truly about him in you and through you when that happens, friends. See this? Here's the big idea for this sermon this morning. Just like Peter, you and I are only as good as our strong love for and look to Jesus Christ. This is the best thing that you and I can do as a mom or a dad or as a spouse or as a friend or as an employee or a leader, a servant of God, a pastor, a church. Keep short accounts with Jesus. Come back again and again and again to loving Jesus passionately, following hard after him, keeping him first in the order of your love and fixing your gaze upon him in all things. Don't fixate on your spouse or your kids or your friendships or your job or your stuff or your health or your freedoms or your circumstances or your government, or even your service for God. Friends, this is the only way. It's the only way to be faithful and fruitful and fulfilled in the Christian life, to avoid burnout and disillusionment and discouragement in a fallen world. It's to every single day to make it about Jesus. And here's the cool thing. Jesus is the only vision that can truly sustain us and truly give us the joy and contentment that we're longing for, that God created us for. My spouse can't be what only God can be to me. My church can't be, my government can't be. Put anything in there. Even the best gifts of God are beautiful but broken this side of heaven. Only Jesus is beautiful but not broken. Only Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Only Jesus is the living hope treasure, the inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Everything else, that full and complete manifestation of the love and the truth and the mercy and the holiness of God in the person of his Son can truly meet our evil every need. Only Jesus. You see it? 
And so nurturing my love relationship with Jesus and keeping my eyes on him every day is the key to my spiritual success. Getting as happy as I can be in Jesus and then serving out of that context is the key to flourishing this life for Jesus. And that means, friends, that worship always precedes service. Always. Sometimes we get so busy striving and working and performing. And it's not about Jesus in me and through me. It's about me conjuring up performance for him. Ever found yourself in that place? I have, even as a minister of the gospel. Early on in my ministry, I had, I've always felt inadequate in ministry. Always. And uh, because the needs are so profound. There's no way my capacities or gifting could ever meet those needs. Sometimes, though, early in my ministry, I would would just try to conjure up. And I would ask God, God, give me grace for this activity. I'm going to the bedside of someone who's dying. And I was a, a young man, and I was just out of my depth. I need your grace, God. I need your help. I, I would just kind of like, okay, I got to go do this and preach a sermon or give counsel or advice. And, and I realized at some point I was kind of like I was taking a cup and I was filling it up an inch to give out that inch of God in the context of my ministry and life. God, I, I need help and I'm just going gonna, gonna to work hard at doing this and do what I can. And then somewhere God taught me about this principle that we're talking about here this morning. That this delight, this worship, this passionate love for God has to precede all service for God. And God was teaching me, no, Rick, that's a bad analogy. It's not fill up your cup an inch or whatever you need to give out. Fill up your cup to overflowing. Let it come over the sides and let what flows over the top be your service. In that way, when that happens, it's not about you. It's about God in you and through you. It's about you drinking deeply of his love and the treasure of his son and so profoundly savoring that, experiencing his presence and his power so that it's the supernatural begins to flow through your life to touch the people in your life. This is what God intended in the gospel. Not us simply doing stuff for God or building a kingdom for him, but him building his kingdom through us. Him building his kingdom through us. So we need to be the conduits, the channels through which his grace and his love and his presence and his power flow. And that can only happen, friends, when worship is the starting point. Delighting in who he is. Then, his very resources flowing out of my life touch others. Do you see it? May God help us to love him first. And to look to him in all things. If we do that, I believe God will use us powerfully for his glory. Father, thank you for this challenge from this conversation that Jesus had with Peter. We are humbled to be your children today.
and to be your servant. We're asking, oh God, that you would help us. We are made of dust. We feel our frailty. It's so easy for me, Lord, to make it about myself. And the evil one has a heyday, even under all things COVID, to be distracted away from this love for and look to Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would renew and refresh us all today. And then in the context of that renewal, Lord, as we delight in you and worship you for what you've given us in your son, that we would be able to share the beauty of that treasure in your son through the Spirit of God, through the power and presence of the Spirit of God, to share that with others and that people would not see us, but they would see you impacted by it. So hear our cry, hear our prayer. We pray this now.